but so um i'm sure we've got a lot of people that are watching this that are kind of like me and jordan we love duck hunting but kind of the the model that you said with the banker i'm a teacher jordan's uh i can't quite describe what he does i don't know what the title of it is but <laughs> and then we're training our dogs in the the downtime that we've got and so from what you've seen what are kind of the the most common errors that you find in people like jordan and myself when we try to train a dog without sending them to experts like you and just any advice that you have for just your common duck hunter that says, you know, I want to get a dog and do it myself. Yeah, I think out of several, um, rushing it. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits, well that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, guys? And welcome to another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. On today's episode, we're joined by Barton Ramsey of Southern Oak Kennels and Cornerstone Gun Dog Academy. We have a great time discussing all things duck dogs and Barton Ramsey really has a wealth of information and shares a lot of insight on training. So without any further ado, guys, let's jump into the podcast. Still getting used to running all this live stream technology stuff. Oh, we're live now. What's going on, guys? Howdy, howdy. Good to be here. Do you want to link to um, where the live stream's at, Barton, or do you not have another screen to look at? Um, yeah, send me a link and I'll click it and put it on my second monitor up here. Okay. That'd be great. Just make sure to mute it. Um, I'll send it to your email. Yeah. All right, cool. That's even better. Yeah. Well, right, I, knew, I, I, I should have thought Derek was going to be here. Derek is, uh, in Ireland and Derek put on the chat what kind of dog you have. I don't remember, but he's got, he does quite a bit of hunting in Ireland and, and his dog will retrieve ducks. And also I think, I think he hunts some kind of upland over there. I can't remember what, what they hunt, but he's got. Yeah. What's up, Derek? Most guys over there are going to be, uh, you know, hunting either pheasant or partridge, uh, which we would call chucker when it yeah. comes to their upland shoots. I don't know what, what type of hunt. Maybe you do rough shooting or maybe you, you know, pick up at a shoot. There's a lot of different ways to use a gun dog over there. Haven't you been over there a few, a few times, Barton? Oh yeah. Yeah, most of my dogs are from Northern Ireland. A handful from England and a handful from uh, from Scotland, but most of them are from Ireland and, and Northern Ireland. So when now, you say what's, like, what's the thought behind that? Yeah, so we're diving off in there. So uh, <laughs> this is a different style of, of training, shooting, working dogs, uh, especially field trialing. If you want to get into to dog training and, and when we say, hey, so-and-so has a, a well-bred dog, what you usually mean is they have a dog who has parents and grandparents and so forth who have achieved some level of accomplishment at something. Uh, and if you really want to look at what is that dog going to be like, you want to look at what do the dog's parents and grandparents have to do to achieve whatever it is that they've achieved. So if it's a field trial in America, it's very different from a field trial in the U.K., and uh, when I just started evaluating what I like, I like field trials in the UK uh, as far as the dogs have to be quiet. They have to honor a lot. They have to sit still through lots of exciting shooting and not break without a leash, without any intervention. You can't yell at them. You can't say, sit, 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 you know, 
to make a noise or break you're out uh, but at the same time they have to have a lot of go and be hard charging and the irish trials are really nice because they're super gritty and uh, they got some tough ground tough cover they want to see dogs use their nose and so for me those dogs just wound up being kind of what what i like i don't really knock any of them american field trial dogs are fantastic for what they do just from a personal perspective that's the type of dog that i, I wanted to work with so we, we bring them over and train them to be american waterfowl dogs which is different because they don't use a lot of decoys or boats or calls it's just very different over there uh so we train them to be used to all that stuff and they adapt really well and then we, we breed them over here and produce pups sweet Great. deal Really um, let's go ahead and just start from the beginning then. And <laughs> okay, sorry, I, I'm I'm bad about that. I get excited <laughs> and I start asking questions. Well, yeah, you're good. Like... you're good. Dive in wherever. I'm trying to find you guys. Uh, yeah. Jordan, do whatever you need to do on the intro, and then we'll get. Okay. Get uh, what's up, Michael? Uh, all right, let's go ahead and start her up. So, uh, thanks for joining us. A couple years uh, started off with Springer Spaniels and then got into Labradors and was training Labradors for the general public and then started uh, really appreciating a certain type of Labrador that I wanted to work with primarily. I didn't want to, uh, I didn't just want to work with, you know, sometimes people brought me really nice dogs to train and sometimes they didn't. So I wanted to kind of <laughs> cut that out the best I could and work with a specific type of dog. And uh, that became a, a hobby that became a hobby that was dominating my time that became a part-time job that became a more than part-time job. And now it's my career. Um, I didn't grow up waterfowling. A, a guy just happened to invite me waterfowling at church. He was like, Hey, you want to go shoot some ducks? I was like, I've never done that. I, I, didn't, I didn't own a shotgun. I didn't own a pair of waders. I didn't know the last thing about duck hunting. And the guy just said, I think you'd like this. I was 22 years old. And, uh, it's a pretty totally different path, but pretty cool story. Just you know, now I'm running a, a gun dog kennel that's fairly successful in a training program that we've started. And if this guy had been selfish and said, I don't want someone new, you know, in my spot, or I don't want this guy to come back to my public, we were hunting public land, you know? So if he'd have been that kind of guy, then none of that would be here. But instead he wanted someone else to get into it. And so that's pretty cool of him to, to be selfless and invite capable person duck hunting that's the only way we're going to get hunting numbers up that's a different conversation uh, <laughs> so i started breeding dogs and training dogs for clients and uh i had some friends that i kind of got helped get into the the same sort of deal and um i was trying to find a way to not spend so much time on the phone i had people that would call and they'd say hey you know we've, we've got this puppy and uh we, you know, we're training it and we're trying to figure this out. How do we do it? Uh, I, don't, I, can't, I can't figure it out. And I'd spend hours and hours helping people. And simultaneously, my buddies were trying to figure out a way to, uh, to do a, uh, an app to help people, you know, learn how to train their dog. And we kind of put our minds together and we came out with Cornerstone Gun Dog Academy a couple years ago. We officially launched it uh, a year ago next week, I think April 18th or so. So um, that was just basically us figuring out how we could train the trainers, train people to do what we do, because it, it's such a fun hobby. Uh, the season doesn't really have to end. We're not out shooting, shooting birds, but we're definitely having a ton of fun working our dogs throughout the rest of the year. We wanted to pass that, that on to other people. I wanted to build something so that when someone takes a puppy home, whether it's from me or, or another breeder, they're confident in what they're going to do from the moment that puppy arrives at your new house all the way through, you know, even maintaining it as a, as a older dog who just needs to be maintained and, and worked. 
um, and everything in between. So we've included a, a lot of, I think, helpful stuff that we can get into. But that was sort of the, the theory behind it. So I'm, I'm about four years, five years into Southern Oak Kennels and uh, one year into Cornerstone and having a lot of fun doing it. Nice. So how, how old were you when you trained your very first dog? Um, for, for gun dog work, I was 22 and 23. Uh, I had dogs growing up, a few that I trained obedience wise. I just was always fascinated with dogs. I loved having them and, and it was just super fun. Um, but for gun dog work, I was 22, I think. So I wasn't, I wasn't young. Uh, I'm 30. I'll be 31 in a few weeks. So you know. is that was when that you started, uh, hunt or before? It was, it was after. So I had a dog, I had a spaniel that loved to retrieve and she loved to retrieve in the water. And that guy took me duck hunting and we didn't have a dog. And, uh, we only shot a handful of ducks, but we walked out and picked them up. And I was like, I don't like this. So I was like, I think I got a little dog that would do this. So took her out and I shot the gun around her. I watched a bunch of videos on the internet that were free on YouTube and did what everybody does. You just dive in trying to figure out everything you could possibly figure out. I think she was seven years old at that time, eight years old. So she wasn't young. And uh, the next duck hunt I went on, uh, he invited me to a buddy's house that had catfish ponds. And they had a bit of a hooded merganser problem. <laughs> so I don't, you can't see it here, but I actually have my first duck that I shot on that hunt. Uh, I shot at other ducks on the other hunt, but uh, <laughs> this hooded merganser I shot and my sweet little Springer Spaniel got in the freezing cold water and picked up you know, like a 10 man limit of two hooded mergansers each. So 20, <laughs> 20 birds and they're diving everywhere and she's having a blast. And I was like, boy, that's fun. And so yeah, that's uh, awesome. my wife saw that I really liked it. She bought me a Springer for a puppy for Christmas and I trained that one. And, uh, and I got to a point where I couldn't go any further and I sent that one to a pro and that guy became kind of my mentor and all of it. He introduced me to British Labradors and, and taught me how to train and, and showed me the ropes. So who was your mentor then? His name's Mark Harefield from South Haven Kennels. He's a Springer guy primarily. He does some Labrador work, um, but uh, he is uh, he's a super good dude. He's been training Springers since um, 1979, <clears throat> I think. And uh, he is, uh, I think he has like 55, 56 Springer field trial champions to his name. I mean, he's a very well accomplished guy. Uh, and He's one of the first people to start bringing gun dogs over from the United Kingdom. So he would bring over uh, British labs and, and uh, spaniels and, and all that. And uh, I was at his kennel one day and he had some Labradors and I was like, I like those. I don't have, I had not previously liked Labradors at all. Uh, I was like, they're big, they're loud, they knock everything over. They just all seem to be like super obnoxious. But it turns out I'd just been around a bunch of Labradors that were just weren't very well bred, I don't think. And, <laughs> His were smaller and quiet and a lot of drive, but very steady, beautiful dogs. And so I ended up buying a few from him and tried my hand at training those. And that was sort of the, that snowball from there. So when so, that happened, then did you pretty much switch over to labs or do you still have your hand in Springers as well? I, I switched to labs, but I, I always have at least one Springer. Uh, so are there any, are there any things that Springers are better at than labs or do labs beat them across the board and everything? Yeah, I mean, I shoot myself in the foot for saying it, but um, I think that <laughs> when it comes to um, general nose work and the ability to two things, really, the ability to um, work through heavy cover 
and the ability to endure a lot of field work. I think Springer's had the advantage because they're lighter weight, they're smaller, and they're really zippy. Uh, they're always very busy dogs. Aren't those traditionally? Aren't aren't Springer's traditionally? Uh, um, what would you call it? Not utility. What what's the word for that? Versatile. Yeah, versatile dogs. Uh, are you there? Yep. Yeah. 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 They're very versatile. They're typically. Um, sorry, I think we caught up. Are we good. Um, yep. They're typically um, used for quarter and flush work, so they're not a pointing dog. Um, mm-hmm. Pheasants, any upland birds where you're quartering and flushing and not trying to, you know, get a solid point. Um, but they're used as waterfowl dogs as well. They definitely cannot uh, handle the uh, the cover as well as I mean, sorry, the cold water as well as a Labrador by any stretch. Mm-hmm. Labradors are far far more, uh, I guess, just tough. They're just tougher. They can handle Hardier. a lot more when it comes to. Yeah, they're hardier. Their coats are built for it. Um, and then springers have a really tough time picking up geese. And so <laughs> as a waterfowler, they don't make a lot of sense. I see people do it, and I think people have success, but it's usually people that just want to do something different, and that's cool. We'll power to them. Um, so, so Springer with yeah. a proper coat, uh, what's kind of the bottom end temperature you would take? A Springer that's been – I wouldn't put it – yeah, I wouldn't put a Springer – first of all, if I were waterfowling a Springer, I would shave it. Uh, because their coat is literally just a sponge. I mean, if I'm putting a springer in water, their coat serves zero purpose other than to make them wetter. I mean, they just hold water like a like a rag. So um, I, I I guess I'd shave it. I wouldn't put one in water much below freezing at all. Wow. Uh, what I would do if I were hunting, I have a springer who is built like a Labrador. He's big. He's 50, 55, 56 pounds, which is very big for a springer. And he's um, he's too hot. He's too hot for AKC field trials, which is that says a lot. Um, and uh, I put him in some really cold water, but I just make because he would go and he'd be fine. I just make sure that when he got out, I had like a what are those little things that you can drive a car off with the little Sham. chamois tower chamois? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd have one of those to get the water off of him, and then have a little buddy heater to, for him to sit by, and he'd be hmm. fine. But like my labs. I don't worry about that mess. You know, we hunted this year. I think we, I think we broke, uh, ice, you know, I'm in the South. So for us, breaking ice is a big deal, but we broke ice probably 20 times this season and, uh, and dogs had no issue. You know, is there, is there a cold limit for labs? Oh, certainly. Uh, and every lab's different. You know, I've got buddies in Montana whose dogs are outside in kennels and it's 20 below zero and they think it's the best day ever. And they get out and run around in snow and they're, they're acclimated to it. But, um, the biggest thing is, uh, is wind. So you put springers in, uh, and then put them in the wind. with their coat if you put a nice vest on them you can keep their core warmed up but um yeah i i've seen some people hunt some dogs it's a pretty scary just really gotta know what to look for uh which we actually include in cornerstone gundog academy we have a whole a whole module mm. of interviews with a veterinarian and uh, we go over puppy shots and all that but we also go over how to avoid overheating a dog and hypothermia and, and what are the signs because you can recognize it a good bit of time before it actually is too late uh, so one of the 
the coldest hunts that I went on this year, I've, I've talked about it on here before, but um, we had a, a day this year and the wind chill was uh, minus 18. And um, I took my, my dog Chief Chief with us and uh, we'd actually hunted a few days before as well in similar similar cold weather. But, uh, you know, afterwards in the hunt, I mean, during the hunt, he was fine. But afterwards in the hunt, um, he had a condition that I'm sure you've heard, like timber tail or cold tail, swimmer's yeah, tail, yeah. limp tail. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that's the first time, um, you know, I'd ever heard of it. Uh, but you know, after that hunt, um, you know, he's just, his tail was real tender and, um, yeah. How long just, did it take him to recover? Just curious. Maybe I want to say two or three days. That's pretty fast. Usually the first time it's about a week. Hmm. Um, so what's weird about that is we, we had a dog get that here this last weekend and it was 70 degrees. Oh, wow. Um, it has very little to do with the temperature. It usually has to do with the amount of exertion that's required. Uh, and the dog. it's really unex- unexplicable. Most vets are like, look, it's just something that happens in Labradors. And once they get it, they're prone to get it again. But the second time they're prone to recover quicker. Okay. Um, hmm. So. Yeah. So what I'd read, obviously you're the expert on this, but what I read is that like in the colder temperatures, having the ice on their tail makes it heavier. So it wears out the muscle more, but maybe that's yeah. wrong. I don't know. That could okay. definitely do it. It's definitely, it definitely has to do with exertion with their tail. Okay. Uh, so ice can, ice and water, it's almost always water. You rarely ever see it without water. But if you do a lot of long water retrieves and you have a dog that likes to wag its tail in the water, that takes a lot more <laughs> exertion as well. So you'll see that as well. Okay. Hmm. So on this topic of cold weather and coats, I think it's really interesting. I'd kind of like to stay on this topic for a while. Uh, I want to give you a little background of, of myself with dogs. Um, just so as I'm asking questions, you can kind of know where I'm coming from and my lack of experience as a dog trainer. Um, I got my first dog when I was just out of legend and I just picked it up in the paper for literally $5. It was half lab, half golden retriever. I'm like, I'm going to try to train this dog. And this was the most hyper dog I've ever seen, but the most driven to retrieve as well. I didn't, didn't have, I basically didn't even train her. Everything she did was natural. So she wasn't steady. She was totally annoying, completely pain in the butt to hunt with. Um, But her drive was just unbelievable. So then my second dog, um, who's 10 now, I paid $300 for. So still a real low end dog. And she's real low energy, but I actually, I got the book um, Water Dog, which I'd love to get your opinion at some point on that and really tried to follow it. And she's completely steady, um, doesn't have a very good nose, doesn't have that much drive, but is the easiest dog to hunt with in the, that I've ever been around. I mean, just quiet. So opposite end of the spectrum from your other dog. Totally opposite end of the spectrum, which I love because, I mean, she's so easy to hunt with. And I find dogs that are a pain in the butt to hunt with, no matter how good they are, are extremely frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but so my net, the next dog I'm going to get, um, which I'm looking at that now because this one's 10, I'm looking to pay, maybe pay a little bit more money, um, try to be a little better with what I'm doing. My dog, I took her through force fetch training, my Izzy, my second one. Um, which mm-hmm. I want to get your opinion on force fetch training. My, my list of things I want to ask you is like, oh my gosh, I <laughs> stop me if <laughs> I go over these. Um, but she's always had mouth problems. Um, she doesn't like retrieving okay. geese. She still drops at the bank. Uh, most of her hunting early on in her career was out of a layout boat. So she would bring okay. everything completely back to hand in a layout boat in the water. But once you get her on a bank, she wants to drop it on shore. 
Um, sure. And when she was a puppy, I would change colors of retrieval dummies and she wouldn't even pick it up if I changed color on her. I mean, so she's always mm -hmm. had some issues. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's just a little background on where I'm coming from and my experience. I'm super novice in my training, but, but sure. looking to get better. So he, here's what I've felt as far as her in cold weather. My first dog loved cold weather. Didn't matter. It could be negative 10. Right. She'd do it. Um, Izzy, my one I've got now, has always hated the ice, always hated the cold. But I can get her to do it, but she literally does not like it at all. Um, but my, my theory with her is she's an indoor dog. Mm -hmm. I don't even have a fenced-in backyard, but I've got a porch in the back. So sure. as the weather's dropping throughout the fall, my plan in, th in theory is just to leave her outside pretty much all day. And from the time I go to work to kind of come back and then bring her inside after that. And, and my, my thinking has always been that that would be enough to hunt her down to about five, 10 degrees. Um, sure. is kind of my thing. So I guess my question is a little bit more in depth on what you have to do to acclimate a dog to um, be prepared to hunt in the cold and I know you said every dog's different, but so let's just say specifically mine. And, and what are the holes in my thinking as far as how I'm getting my dog's coat ready? And sure. what are your thoughts about my temperature range for her of five to 10 degrees if I acclimate her that way? Yeah, a couple things. Uh, you're gonna have two, two things that you're working uh, with, two variables. Uh, the first one, you, you've really got a good idea and that's just acclimating a dog to the temperature um, making sure that they have their undercoat developed because usually they'll blow their coat once a year and if they don't have a reason to grow an undercoat it won't grow in right it'll just have a very thin coat um, leaving a dog outside you know in a safe environment supervised or, or kenneled uh, where they can acclimate to the cold usually is the best way to do it i would definitely do it gradually mm -hmm. i would try to train your dog in the water uh, when the water is 60 degrees and then 50 and then 40 and just work in so that, mm -hmm. that it's not like, hey, we trained when it was 60 and now we're getting out here and it's, you know, it's 32 and there's ice floating around in it. You know, you don't want to make that jump. Um, you want to just keep working in the water as their coat gets thicker. Which if you hunt a lot should be like we start teal season in the 70s and sure. 80s. So yeah, it shouldn't be an issue. Yeah. So but the second part is where you're going to run into an issue. And that is the a dog's ability to handle cold temperatures is largely tied to the dog's drive. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of dogs that have low drive just don't want to cut it when it comes to really cold. And, and although you can help and you can help them to have a better coat, you can help to encourage them. Uh, you can help that drive along in that way. You're not going to be able, that dog's never going to be just one that smashes it in the cold typically because of the drive. So whereas your other dog that you've got two things, you've got a, in the dog's mind, I want to be comfortable. And then I really want to go get this, whatever it is I'm going to get a bumper or a, a bird. And if this is really high, this doesn't matter so much, but if this is really low, then I really just want to be comfortable. So, uh, you know, and sure, you can force fetch a dog all you want and do all that stuff. That's fine, but it's not, you know, you, then you're going to have a dog that's still going to go in the water, but that is not going to make them go faster. Yeah. So it's not a force fetch isn't a drive building mechanism at all. Um, it's just a common misconception with, with what you do with force fetch. So, um, yeah, I, I would encourage you to do what you're planning on doing, but I wouldn't, I just encourage you to be careful with what you expect because increasing a dog's drive, you, you can always 
build a better fence around a dog that has high drive, but you can, you can rarely put drive into a dog. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you kind of, you kind of have what you have when it comes to the drive level, which is by and large to retrieve something in the cold, but there has been a few times which I have to coax her to do it. Right. Right. Um, right. I I mean, I know her body language. I can literally tell what she's thinking. (laughs) Like every second I feel like, and so I just know she's miserable. I know she doesn't care for it, but if I'm there, and I ask her to do it. She's going to be willing to try, but sure. it's just a matter of her looking at me like, <laughs> you know. Well, hey, as a dog trainer, if you're if you're able to read a dog's body language, then you're already you know pretty pretty far ahead from most people, you know. So we we teach that in our program, and boy, you'd be surprised at the people that just, just ignore their you know our, your dog's always talking back to you. They're just not using words, and yeah, so yeah, yeah, boom, it's it's definitely helpful in training them. So before we switch topics off of ice, I want to tell you a story you might find interesting about her. So her first year, um, clear up until the freeze, we had been hunting like ankle deep water. Literally, she had never had to swim for an actual retrieve. And I had trained her in deep water and everything. But as far as actual hunting, she had never had to swim for a retrieve. Everything we had done in October and November was all shallow water. Mm-hmm. So we got a frozen, a freeze in December, like a, a hard freeze. So we moved over to the Kansas River. And the water there was was over her head. So we drop a bird right out in the hole. And Izzy goes to the to the to the ice, well, goes to the edge. She's standing on the ice and she's looking at it and she's unsure. Mm-hmm. And I think in her mind, she still thought it was going to be shallow. Because when she went in, I mean she went completely submerged oh, all yeah. the way under. Yeah. And she <laughs> yeah. immediately was just like, I mean, you could just see she was panicking. And so she turned around, came out, and she didn't retrieve that bird. And the rest of the day, she was miserable. And about an hour later, we, we had taken a boat on the river. About an hour later, she was just like, I'm done. And she ran back to the boat like a couple hundred yards and just sat there looking at me. And my theory <laughs> with the ice, uh, you've dispelled it a little bit. But one of my theories as to why she doesn't like ice as much is that was her first experience where she submerged and yeah. didn't expect it. That could be. A lot of times they associate things like that. And uh so a huge part of our, our Cornerstones puppy training program is socialization. And a lot of people think socialization is just allowing a dog to experience a whole lot of things. But the, the most important part of socialization is doing what you can do as a dog owner to ensure that all of those experiences are positive. And so I tell my our people, hey, your dog needs to meet 100 new people in the first 100 days of, of being with you and they need to go to 50 new places in the first 100 days and every time they do that it needs to be the best thing ever so if you have a dog that's a little shy of people and people are like hey can i pet your dog you know, i say hey sure here's about four or five pieces of food from my dog's you know morning breakfast that i didn't give him hey when you come to pet my dog just give him a little bit of that food i have the opposite and problem of that that way my dog understands <laughs> Yeah, my dog's yeah, yeah right so your dog wants to run up and say hey to everybody yeah he wants to meet everybody and he's too excited too excited to meet other dogs and uh too excited to meet other people and yeah um and while, while we're on the subject of ice I actually had a question about that as well um so this year this is like the first real first year that my dogs hunted like we he went on hunts last year but he didn't retrieve to till our very last hunt of the year um okay but so so this is his first year hunting and uh i had an issue with with him where if there was ice he wouldn't jump off the ice into the water (laughs) and so like Mm -hmm. i had a duck that was literally like 
in this creek and he's standing on the ice and the duck is like floating past him like five feet away <laughs> and he wanted to get it but like wanted to get it bad but he couldn't I don't know for whatever reason he wouldn't jump into the creek and it literally was like mm. you know knee high did you um were you able to take a duck that you'd already shot and throw it and send him like it was a training exercise no I probably should have done that <laughs> That's what I would recommend. It's just like anytime you can minimize whatever a dog's going to experience on a hunt being its first time to experience that it's better. So there are a lot of things you just can't recreate. You're not going to be able to, you know, you're not going to be able to go out training and have a flock of 30 birds come in and three drop, you know, you can't Mm -hmm. do that in training, but you can say, Hey, we trained on the ice. We trained with my dog jumping out of the front of a boat. We trained with decoys. We trained with calls. We trained with real guns and real birds. And we trained with whatever it is, uh, because the excitement of a hunt and, and experiencing it the very first time I just did a, uh, a video cornerstone does some, uh, some tips of the episode for the grind waterfowl TV. And I just filmed one the other day where we discussed, um, working a dog in an area where the, there is no dry ground and you don't have a boat. So for instance, we hunt a lot of flooded timber. So you're, you're standing against a tree. The water is, you know, waist deep and there's a tree stand and the dog has to swim everywhere it goes. Right. So there's no dry land. And you'd be surprised if a dog is experiencing that for the very first time on a hunt. I mean, they'll lose their minds. You know, they don't know how to take a line. They don't know how to bring you the bird cause they're trying to sit and they're, they don't know how to get up on the stand because they can't touch the ground to jump on it. Oh, and yeah. uh, anyway, so we take them out in the lake with a stand and a bunch of waders. And I just did it last week. And we get them all used to doing that before we go hunt. And so mm-hmm. I would just do that. I'd just go find a little place where you can go work on some ice and uh, see if you can uh, throw it and coax them to go by throwing it, which is – it's always hard. Like if you're working a dog in their first season, it's definitely beneficial to uh, only take friends that are understanding – you know, like, hey, look, I know some birds might come in, but I really need to teach my dog how to jump off the ice here. So give me about 10 minutes and I'll be right back. You don't yeah. want to do that at first light, uh, but, you know, or whenever yeah. they're flying. But if you got a little lull and you can go work on something. In fact, every time I take a young dog out hunting, I take a, a dummy with me, a bumper. Mm-hmm. So that way, if something happens, I can just take that thing out. We can work on it, clean it up, and then go back to hunting. Nice. Um, now, with 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 what you guys do, are you typically breeding dogs, training them, selling them after they're trained? Or are you, um, you get someone that says, I've got a dog. I want to train, take it for a month or two. How do you guys work the business side of what you're doing? Um, so mostly what we do is we have a litter of puppies. Those puppies go home to their new homes. Hey buddy. And, um, and then uh, they will come back to us between seven, six and eight months, whenever they get their adult teeth. And then we'll put them through our training program. We have multiple locations where my trainers uh, live and train and work. Uh, and, uh, and, and our training grounds are pretty spread, spread out. We have a campus in Michigan, Southern Oak Kennels North. And then we have a campus north of me, about 30 miles. And then we have my headquarters here. Where's and, that at, uh, Michigan? So, um, Athens, okay. right outside of it. Sorry, uh, I didn't mean to cut in there. <laughs> Southern Michigan. No, you're you're good. Yeah, Don Collier and Wally Shalal run it. So Wally was actually down here for the whole month of March because he didn't have any water to train and everything was frozen. So uh, he he spent uh, he spent March with his twelve dogs down here and now he's back up there. Um, but anyway, we um 
we do um we do some keeping puppies raising them selling them as a trained dog i don't do much of that because i have a lot of people that want our puppies um and so it's easier to do it the other way uh what i do for people a lot of the times though is i import dogs from the uk and sell them once we convert them to be an american style waterfowling dog so we sell a lot of finished dogs or trained dogs i hate to use the term finished but a lot of trained dogs at various levels um that come from the uk uh, so that's typically what we do um most of the time and then of course we recommend cornerstone for all of our clients and then hopefully other breeders are, are using it as well just i mean there are certain people that are going to send their dog to be professionally trained no matter what they don't have the time they don't really care to do it whatever it is you know the people are going to send their dogs but there are a lot of people who want to do it themselves and then even if you're going to send your dog in to be trained, Cornerstone's really nice because it will help you to have a dog that's better prepared. So the dogs that are coming in now that have been using Cornerstone are usually about six to eight weeks ahead of the dogs that haven't. And so you're saving yourself a, a whole lot of money, a lot more money than Cornerstone costs uh, in that time. And so these guys are, you know, we're getting dogs back in for training and they're already ahead. So we're able to go further with the dog. And then when they go home, we encourage them to use that as a program of teaching you how to further your dog's training more than we've even done so far and how to just maintain a dog. So uh, Cornerstone is a system of training that you guys have hand developed. Yeah. So it's basically mine and a friend of mine's type of training that, so it, I'll be totally honest. We're not reinventing the wheel here. Mm -hmm. You know, dog training is dog training. There are things that work and things that don't work. So, what I've done is said, here are the things that I think work the best for, you know, John who works at the bank and trains from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. and wants a really awesome waterfowl dog. Um, what does he need to know? Like, how, how can he achieve that? And then what we've done is figure out a way to deliver that to John who works at the bank in a much clearer uh higher quality way than he previously could have could have found so water dog is a great resource but let's be honest uh millennials and especially gen xers are not going to sit down and read a book on how to train a dog they're going to pull it up on youtube yeah um i mean that's what people are watching this right now you know, can't fault them it's just that's where we live right now books but a lot of people aren't going to read them on dog training uh <laughs> There's a lot of dog training DVDs out there. I don't think I own a DVD player anymore. <laughs> you know, I mean, isn't that weird? Like, I just told my wife, Bethany, the other day, we're driving past uh, Tupelo, Mississippi. We're driving past the old uh, Blockbuster video. And I was like, I really miss that. I really miss going in and, like, the smell and picking out VHS tapes, you know. And I was like, and then it was DVDs and DVDs did not last very long. And, and then it's Blu-ray. And then all of a sudden it's like, why would I, I can stream every yeah. bit of it in 4k. So, so Cornerstone is all online and you can stream it from your phone, uh, which is pretty cool because you're out in the field and you're like, how was that drill? You know, how do I, and you pull it up on your phone and you watch it and you're like, Oh, well, that's how I do it. Then you go do it. And is um, there a cost to that? Or is that information free? No, no, it costs. Yeah. What, Sorry. Well, what, how, how do you, how do you, What's yes. the format? Is it a download? Is it a monthly? Yeah. How do you access? No, it's a, it's a lifetime membership. Um, right now, is, there's no additional fees. You join once and for all, and you have a, a library. 
Um, the best value is just to buy the complete Gundog Academy is what it's called. And that would be everything we've done. And it, it all goes into your library and you can ac access your library anywhere you have Wi-Fi or a data connection on your phone. Uh, so it's all streaming. None of it can be downloaded as, as of right now. We've thought about figuring that out and, and helping people where they can download it and save it. So if you're training in an area where you don't have service, you could use it. But then you get into a whole bunch of issues with piracy and people just selling it and, or giving it away or posting it. And that's that's the, that's the issue there. So yeah, you'd probably end up uh, with it all over YouTube if you did that. It'd be everywhere. So we'd yeah. be constantly policing that. So what 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 we do is we charge what would be I think a little less than average for one month of gun dog training and you have lifetime access to our program. It's $597 and uh, you can pay it once or you can pay it over three months. And, uh, and that gives you access. And, and in addition to having the program, it also gives you access to a, a private Facebook group to where like, if you're like, Hey, my dog wouldn't jump off the ice today. You can post that and Josh and myself will, will give you our recommendation, but uh, Along with that, dozens of guys who have used the program and trained dogs will be like, hey, this is what worked for me, or hey, I tried this and it was awful, don't do this. Uh, and so it's really a community that's been built uh, of guys who train dogs who all have the same goal and are sharing their ideas. And that's been super helpful. That's been a really fun part of it. How many users do you guys have on that? I think we're right at 600 people who have signed up. So we launched a year ago. Wow, that's great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's been good. We're we're, we're uh, it's really picking up some some momentum right now. We just had our strategy meeting uh, with our our the guys who do all of our marketing content at Rockhouse Motion, and uh, we've uh, we're, we're launching some pretty cool stuff. We just redid our flow charts, and uh, and it's going to be really fun. Basically, we're we're trying to make it as um, turnkey as possible. So, what we found is a lot of guys don't know what to do when they get to the field. So you have an idea. I want my, you know, my dog is super hyper and he jumps on everyone and he runs after every dog and he doesn't sit still. And I want him to be this. So I'm going to take him out and train him. I have some videos, but what do I do? You know, like, do I just watch a video and do a random one or, you know, so or do I go in order? So we've, we've really created a, a flow chart process that will help people actually plan out a full not just training session but multitude of training sessions so that you're always working toward that goal in a way that we think is best for for you know whomever and whatever dog yeah gotcha. now you mentioned marketing how, how do you guys go about finding your clients and how do you market the program what's what's your strategy um social media you know we're I, i'm a I'm a millennial. I have that advantage, I guess. I keep using this term millennial. I've had this whole like massive Facebook debate today with people over the term millennial, which is really funny because now that term has come to mean like something negative. And I'm like, all it means is I'm, I'm 31. You know, all it, yeah. literally all it means is I'm between 22 and 37. Uh, but uh, I guess they think it means snowflake or whatever you want to say. But uh, self-entitled. Yeah, you, you yeah, don't. Yeah, and just talking to you for half an hour you don't fit the criteria for the negative side of yeah for the generalization people will do that you're know? way too ambitious do you have any uh yeah, dogs sure. that come through your kennels that are snowflakes though just curious i have had a few we send them home like hey look this dog is uh anyway so um this dog thinks he can just sit here and eat all this food without doing any work. And, uh, he expects <laughs> me to feed him. No, I'm kidding. So, um, 
I just did. I just generalized all the millennials. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we use social media. And honestly, what, what we want to do is, um, I won't get too much into this, but um, we want to give people a, a picture of what their life could be like with a dog that they enjoy hunting with and living with. And I got a lot of people that have one or the other. And hey, my dog, she's really fun to live with, but she's just okay to hunt with. Or my dog is freaking awesome to hunt with, but he's not fun to have in my house, you know? So I, I want to give people this picture on social media. Of here's, here's what my life is like. I have 30 Labradors and they don't bother me at all. You know, like I have two in the house, I have a Springer in the house, I have dogs everywhere. And I love living with them because of the way that we've trained them and all of them hunt. You know, I don't have a single female in my kennel that we breed that's not a hunting dog. We don't breed brood bitches. We don't have dogs that just sit. They're all trained. Um, and so I want to give that picture to people and we just basically put that out there and we say, Hey, look, we'll help you have this with your dog. If you want to walk along with us in our program, and that's really it. Um, and so that's sort of the strategy we, we do. Um, there's another, uh, awesome podcast out there, HP outdoors, waterfowl podcast. They're not a live stream like you guys. They just do like a regular podcast. And so we've done work with them. And then we partner with cool people like you guys got an awesome thing going on. So it's a no brainer. It's like, Hey, let's go talk to these guys. And they look like, I really like what they're doing. Why would we not go join in? Uh, and partnering with companies that are like-minded and how, you know, things that we value, we value, you know, conservation, we value adding, uh, people to our sport and the heritage of the sport. And we value quality gun dogs and quality products and things that you only have to buy one time. because they're not going to break every season and all that stuff. Do you guys do Facebook, um, ad campaigns as well? Yeah. Yeah. Have you had success with those? Do you think those are pretty successful? Yeah. I mean, you just have to realize that, uh, you know, when you, when you're playing on, We've left the world of dog training and gone into the world of marketing now. But when you're whatever you're doing, when you're playing on Facebook, you know, you're fighting the monster. So uh, Facebook is the monster. They created it as a social space, which is exactly what it should be. And then they were kind enough to allow businesses a little corner of that social space. And I think they see it as I feel like they see it as their job to keep the businesses as quiet as possible, which is totally fine. You know, I mean, it's. Facebook was not created to be a, a, a advertising campaign, right? So, but they do need money. So uh, that's how they get their money. And you just have to figure out how to do it in such a way so that, um, you know, I see all these marketing campaigns. It's like, hey, come buy my product, buy my product, buy my product. And that's not how online social media marketing works. Yeah, That gets shut down immediately. No one wants to see that. So. Yeah. We really use Facebook as a tool to educate people and inspire people and give them something that they want to see on their newsfeed. That's great. All right. Yeah. Let's jump. I appreciate that. That was, those questions were for my own personal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but so um, I'm sure we've got a lot of people that are watching this that are kind of like me and Jordan. We love duck hunting, but kind of the, the model that you said with the banker, I'm a teacher, Jordan's a, I can't quite describe what he does. I don't know what the title of it is, <laughs> but and then we're training our dogs in the, the downtime that we've got. And so from what you've seen, what are kind of the, the most common errors that you find in people like Jordan and myself, when we try to train a dog without sending them to experts like you and just any advice that you have for just your common duck hunter that says, you know, I want to get a dog and do it myself. Yeah. I think there's several, um, 
rushing it. Uh, people all the time, even people in Cornerstone, I'm constantly having to comment in videos and be like, slow down. You know, people are like, well, I want my six month old stop on the whistle. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you see a lot of these field trial lines. These dogs are bred for that kind of work, American field trial lines, and they're so hot and so driven, you can push them a lot harder at a younger age. But most gun dogs are not bred like that. Um, and so we, uh, we see a lot of people rushing it and every dog's different. Every dog learns differently. The timing is different. So I just tell people to slow down. Don't compare your dog to other dogs. Don't set a time frame. Uh, let the dog learn it at its own pace. Uh, that's a big one. Um, I think a lot of people are reactive rather than proactive and, um, dogs are also reactive, but they don't really have the ability to reason like we do. And so I think if we would encourage more trainers to step back for a second, don't react, ask yourself a very important question. Does the dog understand what I'm asking her to do? And why did she do that behavior? Whatever it is, does she do what's right? Well, why does she do what's right? Well, I taught it to her, I showed it to her. Okay, well, we're gonna keep doing that. We're gonna reward it. Did she do something I didn't want her? Is she dropping it at the bank every time she gets out? Okay, rather than get really mad and lose my temper or just ignore it, let me ask the question, why is she doing that? When I say hold, does she understand what I mean when I say hold? If not, then I can't really expect her to do that. If not, how can I go actually break this into teachable components, fix the issue so that she's not confused and then enforce it? So I think a lot of people just react. They want the dog to do what's supposed to do in their mind. And if they don't do it, they get mad and blah, blah, blah. But if they would ask those questions and slow down and learn to read the dog, then then training would be much more fun, much more enjoyable for me that way. Awesome. Nice. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, uh, talk about the Facebook group. So we started the Facebook group, guys, um, and we had a bunch of guys join in there. So um, one thing we, we asked you guys to do was submit your favorite pictures from this week so or from this past season, um, and we'll share them in the community segment. So let's go ahead and do that. And it's Fellowship of the Duck Gun is the name. For any of you guys that are watching that want to um, go over there and join us on Facebook. I'm joining now. <laughs> so we got Wesley Miller with his duck dog. Let's just see all. Another one from Wesley Miller. There's Izzy. <laughs> yeah, my, my dog, I believe, had a seizure. Um, I don't want to cut it too, too long, but she had a, what I think is a seizure this weekend. So I've been posting all sorts of pictures of her. We got John Gleason from Ireland. <laughs> got some pheasants, some ducks, some, uh, I don't even know what all that is. Woodcock, rail. There we got Aiden. We got Zach Jones, Iowa Plainsman. And there's Chase, somewhere in Wisconsin. And there's Ash. And I think that about covers it. Thanks, guys, for your submissions this week. Barton, where can people find you on Facebook? What's the quickest, easiest way? Uh, just Cornerstone Gun Dog Academy. If you look it up, we're right there. Great. Um, if you want to look up Southern Oak Kennels, and it's just Southern Oak Kennels. Uh, on Instagram, it's Cornerstone Gun Dogs and Southern Oak Kennels. 
we have our own Facebook group, not to pull from you, but from yours. But the uh, the Southern Oak Kennel Society is also a pretty fun group if people want to chat dogs in there. Yeah, what is that again? I'm gonna have to get over there and check that out. What is it again? Southern Oak Southern Oak Kennels Society. Um, and uh, and uh, then if you you know the other one that I mentioned, um, the CGA members only group is is just for our members. Uh, but if you do join Cornerstone, I highly recommend you quickly get into the Facebook group because it's super helpful as well. Awesome. All right, Jordan, I still I, have tons of questions. I don't know where you want to go with this um, lightning round. I know I still have a bunch okay. I'm interested to ask, but we'll do whatever whatever you want to do with this. Um, I don't know where. How much time do you have, Barton? <laughs> Not to put oh, you on the spot. We'd have to do it. Yeah, we'd have to do, probably do a second episode. I can. Okay, yeah, that's fine. We'll do 10, twelve minutes or so. But my kids are hopefully they're all alive. My, I actually have my kennel hands on. <laughs> So, so you got all about, right. Uh, you got about all right. So why don't you we do the lightning round, and I will let me add a couple to the lightning round. Okay. Okay. That'll work. Let's do that. I don't know yep. what the lightning round is yet. So all right. Awesome. Lightning round <laughs> is quick questions, quick answers. So, um, yeah, just jump in there, Elliot, with yours as well. Okay. I'll hit so, yours. Okay. Uh, what gun do you shoot? Brett A four hundred. Uh, what's your dream gun? Beretta A400, but just stay tuned on that one. Okay. Uh, shot size for ducks. Uh, for ducks, number two. Um, e-collar or no e-collar? No e-collar. Ducks or geese? Geese. Specs or Canada's? Specs. Face paint or no face paint? No face paint. Ammunition brand. Um, uh, this year I shot a heavy X. Beard or no beard? Beard, for sure. <laughs> Water or field? Uh, field. River or marsh? Marsh. Mojo or Lucky Duck? Lucky Duck. Mornings or evenings? Mornings. One dog or multiple dogs? Multiple dogs. Favorite ice cream? Uh, I'm boring. I just like uh, like straight up French vanilla. <laughs> nice. With, That's, yeah. vanilla. with chocolate right. or without? <laughs> uh, without. Sometimes with those little cherries. Okay. All so right, you go, my, Elliot. These are on the fly. I haven't really pre-thought a lot of these, but some of these are yes or no. So can you teach a whining dog in the field to not whine? Uh, very, very rarely. Um, color. Does color make a difference? Black, yellow, chocolate. It can make a difference, yeah, but not necess- not because of the color, because of why dogs have been bred for that color. Yeah, but no, I like uh, I like black dogs. Can force fetch or no force fetch? Uh, yeah, I don't force fetch very often at all. Our program doesn't force fetch. I definitely think there's a place for force fetch. I'm not an anti force fetch person. I think it's highly unnecessary for most people and most applications. Kids and dogs, how much monitoring do you have to do with how they're behaving with the puppies? Uh, a good bit after after the uh, after the beginning stages, you have to do a good bit. Early on as a puppy, very little as long as crate training is going on. But uh, w- once the rules start, everyone has to obey the rules. 
All right, last one. When you're going, if, if you're picking out a puppy from a litter, do you want the first one out of the kennel or the last or somewhere in between? Uh, my theory on picking a puppy is let everyone else pick and I'll just take what's left. <laughs> so I really mean that. It's all, all, right, all, all the trainer. Who, who's harder to train, the dogs or the owners? The owners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, that answers a lot yeah, of so... questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we can have a whole episode on the force fetch e-collar thing, and I love all my – I have tons of friends who train with e-collars and force fetch. I'm not an anti at all, and our program is not an anti. We just think that um, – expecting a guy that doesn't really know anything about duck hunting. I mean, I'm sorry about dog training uh, and doesn't really understand, you know, the basics of dog learning theory, philosophy of how dogs learn and is prone to overreact and giving them something like an e-collar and expecting them to learn how to use it properly within a few sessions is ridiculous. And it is how dogs are ruined. I mean, I'm telling you guys are like, well, (laughs) They broke and they nick them. Well, that didn't work. I'm just going to crank this bad boy up. And I'm just going to burn them to the ground. And some dogs can handle it. And some dogs, they're done. Uh, it's like shocking so, people if they, uh, you know, missed a shot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I just think it's easier to do that. And so my, my theory on that is this. So, yeah, there are some things you can do with an e-collar that will make dog training, if you know what you're doing, very fast. Um, that's fine. I won't argue that point at all. It definitely is a, a quicker way to eat an elephant. Um, but for me, I, I'm, I don't want to say old school, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. Just put it to you this way. Uh, the masters just started today. I just saw, I think Jordan Spieth is, is, uh, in the lead. I sat next to him at a Cowboys game one time. So it's my claim to fame. <laughs> um, you can play golf and, and rent a golf cart or you can walk the course. And there's something to be said about walking the course and taking it all in. And my method of dog training is walking the course. You know, it's, hey, I want to really, I want to get to know what this is. I want to figure it out. I don't want to take a shortcut. I don't want to hurry. I want to take my time. I want to do it right. And that's that's the, the method we propose. You know, that's what we teach. All right. Um, oh, this is so guys, so let's... I, sure, I certainly hope that we can set up a second visit. I, I this For me personally, this is just all so fascinating. And there's so many other things yeah. like e-collars and forced fetch training and and the color of a dog because i've heard so many people say that you know black labs are better than yellow and just i would love to go in depth on those so maybe we can set something up for a a second i'd love to do that i'd love to talk about that we can talk about breeding we can talk about color yeah there's a there's a ton of stuff a ton of information it seems you got a wealth of information so guys if you guys got some questions yeah a couple questions yeah yeah let's see if we can get some live questions in and while we're waiting for those to filter in guys make sure you hit that like button if you've been with us this whole time and uh join us on the facebook group as we've been saying and you can also find um if you're listening to the podcast you can find my videos at freelance duck hunting jordan's videos at duck gun chronicles so make sure to find us on youtube as well check those out yep and we'll be back over on my channel next week do you remember who we have uh no i think we have a couple weeks off don't we uh or are we doing we're doing a turkey video or a turkey uh conversation yeah, going uh, a little off topic the turkey yeah yeah <laughs> there's been a couple questions my wife wants to know how you stop a dog from barking at the doorbell because that's izzy's number one <laughs> yeah that's hard to stop i'll sound a little bit uh contradictory here but um a bark collar can help if your dog is collar conditioned um 
if your dog's not collar conditioned, it's very difficult. So what you want to teach your dog foundationally is that calmness leads to reward. When you stay calm, you get a reward. Um, and so you're going to have to find a way to keep the dog quiet and reward the dog for being quiet. Um, like what's going on right here. Uh, so it's, uh, like, Hey, you're being a good boy. So I'm going to give you something, but a lot of people just immediately correct. And that's very hard. The bark collar is helpful because the correction is immediate and the correction doesn't come from you. And so they learn pretty quickly that it's because of the bark. When you correct, then you, it's very hard to make sure that the dog is associating the correction properly. So are they being corrected because they're barking? Are they being corrected because there are uh, people at the door? Are they being corrected because you're just in a bad mood? You know, they've been corrected because they got up and they moved. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard to, very hard to, I mean, dogs don't put that together like you and I would expect. You can't just say, I'm mad at you because you're barking. You know, they don't get that. So. <laughs> they want to know, uh, somewhere in Wisconsin and Double S Outdoors are asking, how old is too old to train a dog? Uh, so there, there isn't an age, um, you can definitely teach an old dog new tricks. Uh, they learn faster when they're younger, for sure. Uh, the hardest part is going to be undoing habits that have been learned. That's the hard part. If you got a dog who is, uh, have learned every time something hits the ground to take off running for its whole life to steady that dog is going to be very difficult, much more difficult than it is to steady an eight month old, but you can do it. I just place trained and I'm in the process of training a four year old, uh, Labrador bitch right now, uh, that I imported from Ireland. She's super sweet. And, uh, she's been a brood bitch over there and produced some really nice puppies, but I don't want to breed her unless she's trained. So I'm training her right now. And it's really fun. I mean, she's taken to everything. All she could do is sit and fetch a tennis ball when I got her. So she's learning what a learn what a gun is, learn what a bird is, learn what memory retrieves are, and she's just crushing it. So, uh, Fall Assassin was asking about breeds of dogs. How important is the the breed of a dog? Um, he had seen a video with a, a Jack Russell Terrier retrieving geese. Um, <laughs> That's Alex Brittingham's video. That chick is a bad mamma jam. I'm just to be honest. She's really cool. I end up talking about Alex in every single podcast I do. Uh, she trains Labradors in Texas. She's a fantastic trainer, super person, and she trained her Jack Russell Gator. There's a picture of me on my Facebook <laughs> where I met Gator last year doing some Hurricane Harvey relief. And uh, that dog is spectacular, but breeds do matter. I mean, he's a special case, and uh, Jack Russells can definitely retrieve, and you can definitely do that. But, I mean, there are, are obviously limitations. Um, uh, every breed has its own quirks, you know. Labradors are the most popular breed, I think, because I think they're the easiest to work with and they have less quirks. Um, but there's always exceptions to generalizations. Everybody will say, well, Chessies are super stubborn. And yeah, that's usually true. But I've been around some Chessies that were really soft and really, you know, timid. Uh, and, you know, there, there's always exceptions. Uh, if you're going to get a gun dog breed for the purpose of waterfowling that's a breed that not a lot of people have you just need to remember there's a reason not a lot of people have that breed <laughs> and uh and if you're cool with that go for it you know we have people using our program with boykins and with uh chessies and labradors and with what about golden so, retrievers yeah yeah with goldens for sure Gold, okay. you don't see a lot of field bred goldens anymore but they're they are fantastic we can get them as long as you can work that's a whole different subject. As long as you find one that has a reputable health reputation, because <laughs> they're very prone to hip dysplasia as well. Okay. Worse than the Labrador. So you just need to make sure you do your research. Gotcha. 
Uh, double S outdoors. Cold, right? Yeah, yeah, they're fine. The, Goldens are, are they're, I mean, they're they're great. They can function just like a Labrador. I, I always thought they couldn't handle the cold quite as well, but that's a myth. No, nah, they do fine. They do fine. I've seen plenty of pictures of Goldens iced up like a daggum Eskimo. They do fine. Uh, Jennifer, yes, more turkey videos coming. Double S, uh, double S outdoor. What is the average price of training? I'm not sure exactly. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. So we only at Southern Oak Kennels, we only train dogs from our breeding. So I, I would say from from what I've I've asked a lot of my clients this. Uh, West Coast is usually eight to nine hundred bucks a month. Northeast is usually seven to eight hundred bucks a month, and then in the middle is usually between five and nine hundred bucks a month. I think so. You see a lot of like we're seven fifty. You see a lot of people between six and eight, uh, you know, per month. Which when you really people will be like, oh my gosh, it's like a car payment. <laughs> like just go leave your dog at the vet for a month. That's going to cost you five hundred dollars, you know, yeah. at least. In some areas, it's going to cost you six or seven just to have them sit in a kennel and be fed. So these guys are are uh, <laughs> these guys are feeding housing and training yeah, for not totally much more than a vet would just house it so yeah yeah and what are your puppies run uh southern oak kennel pups are two thousand dollars for the two, 2018 litters but we i think we've got three deposit spots left on 2018 maybe four and then 2019 we're 20 we're going up to 2250 finally going up so we had to do it yeah sorry we do a 500 deposit with our kennel to reserve a spot we sell three male and three female spots per puppy. Uh, I was assuming to... somewhere around that because when you t- start talking those upper upper end dogs, like what you guys got, you have to be willing to open up your wallet for something like that. Well, it's not just uh, like hey, it's, it's not just a name, you know. Like we we do very extensive health testing on all the ones we're breeding. We retire our girls after four breedings, so we're not just pumping puppies out of them and you got to think of how much it costs to import these girls from the uk um so we're not just you know a lot of people will breed a, a female eight nine times we're breeding them four uh times here and then retiring them so selling them on as a gun dog to live on so much couch and eat doritos and pick up ducks and have a good <laughs> life so um yeah there's a lot that goes into it uh, you know maintaining a quality level of, of you know gun dog production awesome all right. Well, that's all we got for tonight. So thanks everybody for tuning in. Time, guys. I really enjoyed it. I yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime. Have so to do it again. I've got so many more questions. I've never <laughs> yeah. had the chance to ask. Yeah, yeah, I got a lot of questions Anything. too. Let's do it again. So, you guys just hit me up. I appreciate it. All righty. So go ahead and let us uh, or let everybody know where they can find you again, Barton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you've got a gun dog and you're looking for training, even if it's an older dog and you're just looking to do some improvements, we have modules for that at www.cornerstonegundogacademy.com. You can sign up for our free preview module on there and you can see a, a sample of our training videos uh, and uh, watch a couple testimonial videos. You can check us out on Instagram at Cornerstone Gun Dogs and on Facebook at Cornerstone Gun Dog Academy. If you're interested in a Labrador Retriever pup, you can check us out at southernoakkennels.com. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. All right, guys. So make sure to tune in again next week. We got... Uh, our turkey conversation going on so uh, turkey season's coming up but anything else from you Elliot nope I think I've run my my mouth enough for this one (laughs) (laughs) alright that's all for us guys and we'll see you guys next week yeah thank you 
As always, guys, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. So quick correction, next week is not the Turkey Podcast, but that'll be in two weeks. Next week, we actually have John Lewis from Cabela's Northern Flights coming on the show, and we're going to be discussing planning out-of-state trips. So make sure to tune into that one. If you want to join us live, guys, you can find us at Freelance Duck Hunting on his on my co-host's channel and on my channel at Duck Gun Chronicles. Both of those are on YouTube um, and will be linked in the show notes down below. And guys, if you could do us a huge favor and write us a written review on iTunes or give us a five-star rating or whatever rating you want to give us, it really helps with us being found in iTunes. And we're on while we're on the subject, guys... The show has been growing exponentially, guys, and we have you guys to thank for it. You guys are awesome. Um, guys who are coming here for the first time, guys who are returning, and longtime listener, listeners, we appreciate you all. So anyways, guys, that's all I got for this week, and we'll see you guys next week. Let's go.